Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. In part five of our Alien series review, Berto and I learned that a search for our beginning could lead to our end with our review of Ridley Scott's Prometheus. Berto, what's going on? Oh, what's going on, man? Thank you for having me back. No problem. I'm really excited to talk about Prometheus. This has uh, been a yeah. long time coming. Yeah, we should have done this a while back. I was trying to decide when you and I decided that we were going to do the Alien series review, mm-hmm. whether or not we should start with the prequels, Yeah. even though they came out obviously after the originals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of it's just a good buildup because really what Prometheus is, is a culmination of this series that Ridley Scott himself started and is returning to uh, and coming back to Alien for the first time in, I believe, like 30 plus years. Yeah. So really, I think that couldn't start with Prometheus because, I don't know, in revisiting all of the Alien movies, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this mm-hmm. because you haven't seen, you hadn't seen uh, three and four yeah. before in terms of just Prometheus really being, again, this culmination of Ridley Scott kind of permeating a bunch of different ideas over the years, over three decades in terms of just like what would a prequel to Alien look like? Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, they did a great job at that. I think, I feel like had we started with Prometheus and gone back to Aliens and then in the order, I feel like because of the technology that they had in this movie, they made it look so amazing. I, th- I thought it's probably one of my favorite movies because it's so visually like pleasing, just like mm-hmm. everything, the way it's done. I feel like Aliens would have lost that sense of horror and like oh i feel like we i feel like it could have done better had they had this technology it would have looked a lot better but i just feel like it would not have been the same i'm glad we started with the aliens and gone the order that we did so just to do a quick overview before we get into uh kind of the elements of prometheus that i think you and i both appreciate a lot so much so that like this movie is kind of divisive in the sense that a lot of fans were not happy that ridley scott chose to take a new direction Mm -hmm. in terms of him focusing more on this origin story that's not really the origin focus of the xenomorphs. And I think that's kind of like what a lot of people assumed because Prometheus very famously does not have xenomorphs in it until the last 30 seconds of the movie. Right. Um, But Prometheus revolves around the Weyland-Yutani financed expedition of uh, scientists, archaeologists, and security forces to essentially find humanity's makers have found a series of maps over the the entire world and they find these dig sites and the maps basically give them coordinates to this planet that they go to investigate and Mm -hmm. they're essentially looking for gods like prometheus is very tied up in this idea of like humans looking for their maker and all these kind of religious undertones and whatnot but then once they arrive there they learn that what they misinterpreted as kind of this invitation to come meet the gods with something else entirely. Yeah. So my first question for you is, do you think anybody else could have rebooted Alien, essentially, other than Ridley Scott? If we're going to go back and get a prequel to this series of movies that hasn't been touched in, I'm trying to think, like two decades, not two decades, but uh, no, almost two decades since Alien Resurrection to Prometheus. Like we yeah. have, there's two Alien vs. Predator movies in there, but those don't really count. Right. Do you think anybody else could have done the prequel to Alien or do you think that it's pretty fitting for Ridley Scott to be the one to come back? I think it's fitting because the I feel like the other Aliens 2, two uh, 3, and 4 were kind of like going off track 
And I think really Scott kind of brought it back into track. And like, I know it's a completely different movie, but I feel like it has that sense of like, the, even the creatures just look as though like, because I know you sent me that documentary about how they, the making of and stuff. And it was like, mm-hmm. it talks about like, he brought back the same creators that made the original alien and like the creature created part. HR uh, Giger. HR Yeah, I think it's kind of cool that they brought it back to that very weird, like even the aliens and the, the creatures we get to see in this movie are just like something you don't really think of. Like we mm-hmm. have this vision of, like obviously we already know what a uh, xenomorph looks like, but we just, I think this whole creative, just the way they went about it, I think it was only right that Ridley Scott would do such thing. And I think he did an amazing job at it. It's clearly one of my favorite movies. So yeah, um, um, I'm really happy with the approach that they actually mm-hmm. took. And it's one that, I only really gained more and more appreciation for every time I watch it, especially after watching the first four movies over the course of the last month. I think that Ridley Scott obviously is an integral part to making this as canon, or not as canon, but rather feeling very much like an alien movie, even though it doesn't necessarily deal with a lot of the same uh, species that it does in the previous films. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, though, that in terms of him forming this idea for a prequel all around the mysteries of the first film. Yeah. And not so much the mysteries of the Xenomorph, but more so like the space jockey. Right. And that's this idea that in the original film, when they go to the ship that eventually has all the the uh, facehugger eggs in it, they find that big towering object that has a guy in a spacesuit there whose chest is obviously... He's been chest bursted Mm -hmm. um, and kind of just building an entire movie and a new facet of the alien universe around this one kind of monument from the original is just, I I think that's brilliant Mm -hmm. in terms of, for me at least, watching the original, I didn't really care about where the aliens themselves came from. It's more so like my fascination with that ship and this idea of how the aliens tie into that ship and who were the people piloting that ship and whatnot. What did you think? I think yeah, it, I'm glad they they didn't focus more on the Xenos, but they focused more on the on the the I guess the engineers because mm-hmm. it it kind of it could stand out as its own movie. It's not really closely. I mean, it is closely related to Aliens because of how everything started, but it's basically its own story. It's separate from the alien world that mm-hmm. we're used to. So I think it's kind of cool that the fact that it does take place in the same universe and it all wraps up together. I think it's awesome. It's like it's a completely different movie on its own in a sense that it's not really focused on the xenomorph, but it's more on the engineers. And just, I think it, they brought that modern technology that really Scott ha- probably would have used had he made aliens nowadays. I think it would have looked amazing. I think we were, t- we were t- I was telling you about yesterday, like, or texting you over. And I was like, had they made, had really Scott made aliens nowadays, I think it would have probably been more scarier, better looking. It would have been amazing just because of the evolution of technology. But Overall, I think the movie is is a great movie. It's a great connection to such a big series that, or his hit series. Yeah, I mean, this is what I think you need to do when you are kind of revitalizing a series mm-hmm. that hasn't been touched for a number of years in that if you go back to the well too much and there's just a, this massive focus on the xenomorphs and the facehuggers, people initially are going to be like, yeah, that's going to get me to the theater to go see it. But then at the same time, like, how is that going to compare to the original? Right. Yeah, it'll look better and whatnot, but at the same time, people are going to be saying things to, along the lines of like, this is just too familiar. Like, I, this right. is exactly what I expected it to be and whatnot. And then it doesn't really show any growth on Ridley Scott's part. Mm-hmm. Not that 
Not that he hasn't had this amazing career in between all the alien movies yeah. for the last 30 or 40 years, but it's like you have to do something new when you're returning to a series right. or a franchise. And I think really him being at the the head of this kind of drive to reboot Alien is that his dedication to using mostly practical mm-hmm. effects and not over-reliant on CG, yeah. um, which is not something that I really realized initially right. when first watching it. Um, again, you said, you mentioned it earlier. We watched the documentary, uh, The Furious Gods, which is the making of Prometheus, which I think we can both agree is aggressively long, yeah, clocking very, in at very long. three hours and 40 minutes. I'll be honest, I only uh, watched the first hour. That's Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched all the, the production of the settings and the vehicles mm-hmm. and the alien and stuff and how they went about that. That's, that's where I stopped. Yeah. I sucked it up and watched the entire thing and mm-hmm. it was a lot, but at the same time, like, it really reinforces this idea that they're not doing any half measures. Mm. This does not feel like a movie that was designed from the ground up as being yeah. one that, hey, we haven't cashed in on the alien name in a while or in a successful way. Let's cash in on that real quick. It's There's the dedication and it really is Ridley Scott taking that bag of tools that he had on the original film and then refined over the course of his career up until making Prometheus. Yeah. Um, because he was known for being somebody that didn't want to do sci-fi again. Mm-hmm. Like he did Alien, he did Blade Runner, and then he didn't touch sci-fi again for until Prometheus, I'm pretty sure. Just because yeah. he had said like, uh, I can't do anything, I don't have any ideas of new things to do. Yeah. So if I can't do something new, it kind of just feels like a waste of time. Well, yeah. He said something along the sense of those lines. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really kind of blown away just by the amount of hands-on that he had mm-hmm. in the conceptualization of it. Like what was, what were some things that you learned in the documentary about his involvement and how integral he was to designing the film? Well, I think for me, it was like the fact that they, I think they talked about how they took like six months to develop, to really go through and figure out the creatures that they were going to use the design of the creatures and all these creating. I think just that, to take six months just to develop such a concept of like even having like the trucks that was pretty cool that they built they literally brought in these trucks and they built mm-hmm. it up to the way they looked in the movie um just to take that much time and to really focus on the detail it, it just it goes to show that like you know he takes his time because he wants to master this like wants to be the best it can be and i think it was definitely worth the time that they took for him to develop such a creatures like really focusing like having different samples of different creatures they wanted to use and all these like small details that one would just probably not care about but just the fact that they took that much time to develop it and and really think about it will it be fitting or how will this affect the connection between prometheus alien covenant and aliens i think it was really it was great to see that and it really shows in the movie that much detail yeah, I mean, again, this kind of comes back to me saying, do you think anybody else could have done Alien? And it's like, I don't really think so. Yeah. Or I couldn't have come back to do Prometheus just because the movie, while it's very different in some regards, mm-hmm. it still feels like it operates in that same universe. Yeah. And that continuity between those <laughs> films, even if this is not really like directly tied into Ripley's storyline, at the same time, like it feels like it could occur in that same universe. And yeah. The thing that really surprised me that I didn't realize about Ridley Scott is that he storyboards everything. Yeah. Like he began in his career, he began as an artist and whatnot or a graphic designer. And just the idea that he took those skills and it's so key mm-hmm. in kind of mapping out the storyline and how things should look and whatnot. That's just an advantage that he has as a director, I think, that yeah. 
not a lot of directors do because there's no, they took six months to develop all these things. But imagine if it was six months spent with a director that was constantly clashing artistically with people. That's true. Yeah. And whatnot. And trying to <laughs> not nailing the look of the world and like those little nuances that he has from being so key to the original film. I think having that carry over to Prometheus really helps make it feel like it's an authentic alien film. Yeah, um, I, th- I think it would have, had it been another director, <clears throat> it would not have been the same because I feel like this is in the series of Ridley Scott's baby. Like he created aliens. Like he wants mm-hmm. to, like, it's like, it's like having like a, for example, like a company and you're see the, the founder of is running it. Like he's going to care more than anybody else. Like it had right. another director come in and just directed it. It would have kind of like, it would not. Have, I felt like they would not have paid much attention to detail had the much the amount that Ridley Scott would have put in, like he put into it. And I think it would have been a lot different. I mean, it was to me. It just comes out to think about. It. It's like that's his baby. This is this is what he created. This is the universe he created, and he wants to make it look the best that it can. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other things that I learned that they did a lot was conceptualizing with CGI. Even though the film overall uses very little CGI, yeah. they still did a lot of like CGI renders mm-hmm. of scenes. And you see that it's like pretty crude animations. But at the same time, when you see the CGI rendering that they do in the uh, documentary and then we look at the final scene, yeah. it plays out almost identically. Mm-hmm. And that really just speaks to the advancements in technology that can really help the final product, even if like everybody says like CGI is the worst. But at the same time, using that technology to end up perfecting a practical shot, I think is an element that gets overlooked a lot. And again, Mm -hmm. it was one of those things that I didn't really know about or appreciate until watching the documentary on that. Cause I think that really helps kind of just not only bring everything alive, but Ridley Scott. And like you said, HR Giger being consulted a lot of the variables and the aliens and things in this, Mm -hmm. they don't look anything like the other ones from the, uh, the four films that precede it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they still feel very, very in line with the world in general. Like yeah. we have, especially the example that I come back to all the time is the eel that we yeah. see when they late much later in the film, which we'll get into, but that eel basically represents a face hugger. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, just because it looks different, it still holds the same almost genetic code in terms of just right. like its purpose for existing. Yeah. yeah. The so it's not, yeah, exactly. And yeah. so it's not far-fetched to believe that an, a facehugger could somehow spawn from that. Or you can see how you make the leap in evolution yeah. from the eel to the facehugger. Right. However many years in the future this takes place before Alien. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, that, yeah, like you were saying, it, it's kind of cool that you could see the evolution of it. Like that's how it started and it'll eventually change because of time. I think it was from from the beginning when they discovered the uh, – the uh, the paintings on the wall i think it's like 10 years later they're flying through space and they come mm-hmm. they landed this planet but i think j- you can see the evolution throughout time even when the eel gets into the body i think we don't really get to see nothing come out of it because they kill it but mm-hmm. i like that it's completely different because it's like if had it been some similar to what the face hugger looked like it kind of loses that mysterious of like what is it and like like you said, it, we're very would be very familiar with it, and it wouldn't be as enjoyable. I, I yeah. really liked how different it is. Everything, like even up to the xenomorphs, like at the end when they pops up, it's just completely different species. And we also get to see how it develops through. I guess it's like a hundred years until the alien original alien supposed to be taking place. And yeah, it's, I think they did a great job at that, just to show 
it's it's in the same world related to the aliens, but there's an evolution period between Prometheus and Alien. Right. It doesn't feel like it kind of just comes out of left field. Yeah. Again, like you might not recognize the variables in Prometheus from the jump because you wouldn't because they're brand new. Yeah. But at the same time, you can kind of start to pick apart the pieces and then see how they're actually connected to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should get right into it. Like the cinematography in this movie yeah. is gorgeous from the opening moments mm-hmm. to the final moments of the film. I mean, yeah. that opening scene alone, I think it, I mean, it's like you're watching Nat Geo or you're watching <laughs> yeah, planet, planet, uh, planet, planet, blue planet or yeah. yeah planet earth yeah. Uh, in 4k or something like I love the film's concept of jumping between like the close mm-hmm. uh, claustrophobic interiors of the ship that we're used to with like the traditional alien. Yeah. But then at the same time, the scale really grows a lot in this movie that yeah. we get these gorgeous landscapes. And then even when they go inside the temple, like, yeah, they're in a structure, but at the same time, it is this very massive kind of uh, like when the, they go to the room that has all the black jars yeah, yeah. and there's that massive head monument, like that's a massive set. Yeah. And so, it's kind of just playing with scale in a way that the uh, the other movies really mm-hmm. didn't. Yeah, I think they, they did a great job at that. And uh, they, I really like. For me, I was thinking, how does this movie like? Why am I? Why do I like this movie so much? And it was for me, it's the visual. It's very pleasing to me, like just to see the landscape, the the way they shot it, and everything around, like that the planet they build into it, like just seeing like how the fact that there's a there's like a mountain almost looks like a pyramid, but it's underground and everything's mm. underground. I think it's awesome. Like, cause I feel like even, even the scene where they get, they they're landing and it's like, they see that there's like a path to this pyramid. It's like, mm-hmm. um, I think Charles, one of the doctors, he's like, God doesn't build in a straight line. That was like, that was kind of a cool yeah. line. I thought, but then you see, it's just like, literally it looks like a mountain. Like if you're flying over, you wouldn't notice anything, but everything's underground. And I just, and then the way they go about, setting everything even when they're walking through the through the spaceship and it's just like everything to me is like visually pleasing i i just love everything about it to be honest yeah i mean again it's one of these examples of the film itself is somewhat connected to the alien movies or mm-hmm. is connected to the alien movies while not directly in a lot of ways yeah but at the same time it kind of creates this own identity for itself in that visually it stand, it's a standout from the opening yeah. moments, again, from any of the other Alien movies, mm-hmm. uh, even like the AVP movies, which yeah. I don't really consider to be part of the same universe. Right. But anyways, it's just every single length that you could go to making Prometheus its own standalone film that has some connections to Alien, mm-hmm. again, I think is the only way you can make this movie. Yeah. And I think the visual style of it really plays into it a lot. And like you said, the advancements in technology over the years... They could have done some, like, obviously, when you, if you took the practical work from today and applied it to back then, I think in a lot of ways, it, it would be very similar in that the dedication to practical work that was effective in the original film mm-hmm. and applying it to Prometheus some 30 years later, almost, yeah. I think it just really speaks to, again, you're wanting to refine this kind of tool set that Ridley Scott and the production designers and all of these advancements over the years, I just can't get over like the sets themselves yeah. and how fantastic they are. And mm-hmm. no matter whether it's one of those wide open shots mm-hmm. or if it's a claustrophobic interior shot, yeah. the dedication to just building these highly detailed and recreating scenes from the original movie, yeah. like when we get into the space jockey, I mean, that opening 
moment when David basically wakes up the ship. Yeah. Essentially. And he's kind of just walking through this dark ship by himself and he's starting to set things up mm. and he does that creepy moment where he's watching Shaw's dream. Yeah. Interior of the ship, again, kind of captures that Nostromo feel. Right. And that it is this very isolating space that is essentially empty as he's the only one that's awake, obviously. Um, and I think just the attention to really making that replicate the feeling of the original is something that not any other director could really do as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just like the fact that you get that feeling like they're in the ship, but also the fact that they had this whole ship built in a, like it's practical, like the documentary we watched, they showed you how, how they, specifically wired all the wires into the ship so it makes it look realistic like you're in a ship and i think that's mm. that's awesome like i think that just helps so much to those scenes like when they're in the ship to like bring everything to life and yeah like like you said back to david like david when it basically starts up the ship because everybody's been sleeping and he's obviously off the bat we know that he's an android and he's the one that's mm. running the ship while everyone's sleeping i think that's such a cool scene just to tie it back to the original aliens like They've been doing this kind of process for a while, for a while now, where mm. an android runs a ship while everybody asleep, and I just think it's it's really awesome how everything comes together in that sense that they really connected. That it is a different story and it is a different um, time and place in this universe, but it's still very similar. Yeah, and I think I mean we'll get into David uh, Michael Fassbender's mm -hmm. performance in a minute, but. I think just in terms of the setup for the movie, I don't fault it for being similar to Alien in that regard, where no, we have yeah. a crew, there's an android, the kind of setup of it, I don't have a fault with because the movie then explodes into this own identity that they've crafted for Prometheus. Yeah. It's not, it goes from being alien-like to being Prometheus. Yeah. It's not just alien throughout. And again, that comes back to, you can't return to the well too, too much. <laughs> Otherwise... People are going to be like, we're just going to yeah. do, we're just going to do what we've been, what he did 30 something years ago and yeah. whatnot. And it's, it really just speaks to making the film be its own independent entity. Yeah. What did you think of the variety of characters? Cause this is a pretty, uh, a pretty stacked cast. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a mix. I think it's a good mix. It's uh it's not, obviously it's not, it's not the same connection um, as the original alien because mm -hmm. they're, it, it seems like they were brought into the ship to, 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 go ex explore this planet so it's not really like like you can tell off the bat that they don't really like each other when they when they wake up um some of the guys uh, i forgot what the guy's name is the the guy that five field yeah five field he basically has a very nasty attitude towards mm -hmm. uh i think that uh charles or charlie uh the doctor or the professor or whatever um he basically is like they're like i'm just here to explore like i'm just here to get paid yeah like they're not there to do anything crazy they're not they're just there to make money. And it, it, I, I personally like it because it, there's no, like they don't get too much into detail with their bonding, which is, it was just good. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like it would have, it would have gone to another route, but um, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was, it was a good group. I want, I got to say my favorite character after watching this so many times, it grew on me is David. I think he's just, Oh yeah. I think he's probably the best out of everybody that I like personally. Yeah. So I, I think, well, I think Fassbender gives one of the, best performances of not only the film, but of his career. Yeah. And it, like you said, it's something that I came to appreciate a lot more after uh, the countless rewatches. Mm -hmm. Again, this is one of those movies that uh, your significant other makes fun <laughs> yeah. of us for, for the amount of time that we've watched yeah. this. But I think in regards of the crew makeup itself, mm -hmm. it's interesting watching this on the heels of watching Alien Resurrection in that yeah. 
we said that the crew in that was way too aggro aggressive. It doesn't yeah. feel like they had a bond at all. Mm-hmm. And in this, people aren't neat. People might be a little prickly towards one another because yeah. they very much are the embodiment of like truckers in space, like the original. Yeah. Like, I'm just here to get paid. I'm not doing anything outside my job description. Yeah. And they at least have that kind of bond of like work friends. Yeah. Even Fifield, like initially he's super aggro to everybody. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he ends up warming up to people, right. especially Milburn, right. who is the, uh, the I believe he's a biologist right. or they, he's the animal, they get the animal specialist. Yeah, they get stuck, yeah, they get stuck together yeah. later. Like initially he's like, I'm not here to be your friend. Mm-hmm. And then through the situation they're in, like they develop this rapport with one another that yeah. feels very, very natural. Right. It's like thing of any job you've worked at, like- yeah. There's always been that one person you're not a fan of, but then they kind of like grow on you or whatever, just in working. You guys aren't best friends, but you develop a somewhat friendly work relationship. But I think in going back to David, I just love from the jump that it's not a secret he's an android. Yeah. They've already done that before. Right. It's been, that's been the twist in not only Alien, but in Aliens. Yeah. And then we have also in um, Alien Resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. Where uh, Winona Ryder's character is an android, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, how many times are we going to use this as like the right. twist or whatever? And yeah. it's it would have been really played out if they did the same thing with David, because mm-hmm. from the outset you get the sense that he's not human, just yeah. in the way he behaves. He's very cold and calculated, right. not cold in terms of like how he treats people, just cold in terms of like he has no emotion, unflinching, yeah. unwavering. Yeah, no, no, emotion. Mo- no emotion. Yeah, exactly, but. I like how multi-layered his character is because mm-hmm. we see him at the beginning. He's very subservient. Obviously, that's his role as being the the caretaker of the ship. Yeah. But then you start to realize that he is the smartest person on the ship. Oh, yeah, yeah. In terms of just he knows everything that's going on. Yeah. He's very sinister and secretive. Yeah. And they kind of build on that. Like initially, he's a smart ass to Holloway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's kind of like humorous and cute. Yeah. But then when you see him become more and more sinister in the things he does to kind of carry out Waylon Yutani's ulterior motives. Right. And then he still has that same level of humor. Right. It just takes it to another level of like being fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I I love that the line that he says when they're when they're getting ready to step onto the, the planet and they're changing and they're like, um Holloway goes to David, he's like, Why are you putting a suit? You're an Android. He's like, Because you people are not used to uh something along the lines like you people are not used to being with someone different, like someone that like, you're just not comfortable with that idea. And I was like, damn, that's a sick burn. Like he's like, he's Mm -hmm. basically telling like, you guys are not used to something completely different that is not related to you. And it's like, and there's a lot of lines throughout the movie where he says stuff like that, like little like shots, like little Mm -hmm. like jabs at him. Like when they're trying to be smart ass with him, he's clearly outsmarting them everybody the whole time. And it's like, I I just love about that. I, I came to appreciate that throughout the movie. Like, watching it for i don't know i think it's like the sixth or seventh time i've watched it and it's like mm-hmm. the more you see and like just the way the performance that um michael fassmander puts is amazing like he just nails it like he has this like his there's not really much emotion in his face he has like this robot look and even when he gets like pushed against the wall uh when he's talking to uh thor um what's the name of Vickers. Uh, character and he gets pushed in the wall and like you see he doesn't flinch. Like he's slammed against the wall. He doesn't flinch. He's just kind of staring at her like a robot. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, that's amazing. And then she like shoves his face against the wall. And it's like, he's just staring at her. Like, I was like, wow, that's, I don't know. I appreciate it more the more I watch it. It's like his performance was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, everything that he says, like he has these little jabs at yeah. people. 
at the end of the day, he doesn't have to he doesn't have to like flex muscles or anything to be right. scary mm-hmm. or tough. It's just like he has that little smirk at the end of everything he says, yeah. no matter who he's offending, just because it's like, what are you going to do to me? I'm an android. I could right. kill you with one punch kind yeah. of thing. But he never has to flex his power, his superiority over people. It's more just how demeaning he is to everybody yeah. when he wants to be. Right. And again, in terms of like lines that really stand out after Shaw has the uh, the C-section of the alien oh, baby, yeah. oh, and then yeah. she gets... She gets stapled and all traumatized and everything. And she's like putting her suit on. He goes, oh, I didn't think uh, she's like joining them to go out into the planet to meet the engineer. He's like, oh, I didn't think I had it in you. And then she looks at me and goes, oh, that's a very poor choice of words on my part. Or something like that. It's just like little things that it's just like talk about punching somebody while they're down. But it kind of just, again, speaks to lacking the interpersonal skills Mm -hmm. of a human. Yeah. But at the same time, being very aware of what you're doing right he said that on purpose right yeah he knew what he was saying in the intent behind it right yeah i think i think his most famous line is when he finds the uh the the sticky glue like the i guess the bacteria and he's like yeah um was it uh big things have small beginning i think that's probably Mm -hmm. one of the most at at least the one line that sticks to me always i feel like every time i think of david in um prometheus it's that that line because it's like it's so true even to like nowadays like obviously back to like having a like comparison to a company like you always start small and then it grows to this big thing it's like mm-hmm. he's really going to change the world and then that's when he like kind of puts his finger in uh, uh dr hall's or whatever professor hall's uh drink and starting this whole evolution of things you know i i just right. i don't know it's his lines and like the way he acts about it it's like it's so cold but like he's it it seems like he's on his own mission. Like he's with this group and they have their own mission, but he's, he's in a completely other mission is another world where he wants to, since he, it doesn't affect him. He's okay with taking these chances with these people. They are human. Yeah. And I mean, that really ties into this idea that he is, has his own agenda that he's serving, not his mm-hmm. own, but his, an agenda that is in service of, uh, Mr. Wayland. Right. Basically. And that is his true agenda. Yeah. And he's doing all these despicable things. And yet, He's very cool and calm about everything because mm-hmm. that's his programming. Like he just knows how to carry out orders. He doesn't know how to let on that he's doing something he shouldn't be or have any remorse about any of these things where he uses Holloway as an, an unwilling participant in this like human trial of what happens when one of the humans in, ingests this black goo right. that we have their suspicions about, but at the same time, we don't really know what it does. Right. Mention that for more context for people. So the expedition basically takes them into the structure. They find this basically throne room. And they find the bodies of the engineers. And one of them has been like decapitated by a door. And we learn that there are like these black vials of goo. Yeah. But the black goo is essentially a weapon of mass destruction that the aliens have developed. Mm-hmm. And the planet that they're on is kind of like the testing facility for this weapon. And anything that is ingested or covered by the black goo mutates into something into a weapon of some sort so it's basically like a biological weapon of mass destruction and we see that with the worm because when they walk into the room they step over some worms that are in the soil yeah and then the worms get into the black goo and it mutates into that eel that essentially serves as like the face hugger and then we also see Fifield when he kind of falls into a pit of the black goo it turns him into essentially like an abomination or a zombie this kind of like crazed mutated killer that has super strength all of a sudden attacks people. Mm-hmm. So in addition to uh, Fassbender's performance, 
which of the other cast was a standout for you? I I personally enjoyed Guy Pierce. Mm. His he's he was in momentum, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think he he has a small role. I don't know if it's a spoiler on this, but he plays Waylon, um, and um, I just think his performance very minimal, but he's such a like great actor. He gives life to this old person that is Waylon, and it's like just that minimal time, like the way his expressions when he talks to his daughter, um, who's play uh, uh, Meredith, yep. who plays who's played by Sherry uh, Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, just that that conversation just shows like I don't know to me it, even watching the deleted scenes they deleted a lot of a lot of that conversation out because it was it would have made the movie too long but I felt like it could have really shown his performance that he really shows a lot of like emotion and like there's like a disconnection between his daughter and him yeah like she wants to take over as the company head like the head person and he's like but I'm still here like. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it was just like I don't know his performance it was very minimal, but I thought it was it was really great. He has a lot of disdain for her, and you can tell that by yeah, saying yeah. like in the very beginning scene when he's introduced and he says that uh, David's the closest thing he'll ever have to a son, and then the camera yeah, just cuts to Charlize Theron's character's reaction to that almost just like this is one last fuck you from this like hundred nineteen year old man, um, right? But like you said. He's not in a great deal of the movie, but every single scene that he's in, I feel like, has added weight to it. He, His performance is one as if we've been with him the entire movie. Yeah. It just kind of like flows very naturally into the plot and all of these different things. And of course, Guy Pierce is just, his uh, his resume precedes him basically in that right. he's very capable of giving traditional roles and then less traditional roles in the sense of this. He plays this old decrepit man that is just driven by this passion for uncovering their creators and maybe there's a a cure for him to continue his lifespan and whatnot and all these different driving factors. And I think I would agree that Guy Pierce is really a standout in this. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time though, like Charlize Theron is fantastic, I think in this. Mm -hmm. And this is really one of the first films that indicates her prominence in becoming transitioning into like an action star over the course of between Prometheus and now, I mean, she did atomic blonde. She did Fury road. She did uh, most recently the old guard. Um, and just there's this film. I had forgotten how much action she has to do in this movie, especially the scene where she has to flamethrower Holloway. Um, And I had learned in the documentary that they actually gave her a real flamethrower for that scene. And she flamethrowered the stunt double. Um, which yeah. is insane to begin with. You yeah. would never want to give a real flamethrower to an actor. There's just like right. too many crazy variables. That a lot could of go. responsibility. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think that that was one of the last scenes that she shot just because mm-hmm. in case there was an accident, it wouldn't fuck up yeah. the entire shooting schedule for the rest of the movie, which I think she, right. uh, she looked back on as like Ridley Scott being cunning, but at the same time, like, Something could go wrong, no matter how uh, right. safe the scenario is. Playing it safe, yeah, definitely. That that would have that would have definitely had some. I feel like it would have affected a good amount of the. I'm sure the way the movie's filmed, but yeah, she's definitely her performance is really well. I, I'm glad, I don't know. At least I'm used to seeing her almost as a lead role, and this kind of she's not really a lead role. She's more like a side role, mm-hmm. and I I liked I liked the fact she did a great job at really showing this like like this person, like the character, she wants to be like, she, she's ready. She wants to take over the company, but 
she's not really allowed to yet. Right. Or at least she never she never gets the opportunity to do it. She very much wears that chip on her shoulder. And that yeah. kind of just, again, speaks to no matter how cruel and calculated and cunning she is, at the end of the day, David is the link between her and her father. And clearly she has a strained relationship yeah. with her father. And like you, yeah. we see that scene where they're in the hallway, basically, and they mm -hmm. she confronts him. What did he say? Yeah. And David, she even attacks David and like shoves him against right. the wall and mashes his face yeah. into the palm of her hand. And yet mm -hmm. again, it kind of comes back to Fassbender being the one that is in control of every situation, no matter right. if somebody's kind of like strong arming him or if they're supposed to be in charge because they're human and he's an android. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like he's never not in control of every scenario he's in. Yeah. Now, now that I think about it, like I feel like David is, has more control than anybody in that yeah. ship. Like, Although you think, you know, um, Meredith is basically, she's kind of like the, the I guess she takes ownership of the company mm -hmm. while her dad is sleeping or whatever. But like, at the end of the day, David is, is was chosen by Waylon to be the lead guy. And he's the one that has more control. Although he doesn't control the ship, he doesn't run it, but he's the one that has most knowledge out of everybody. And he knows everything. And I feel like Meredith feels threatened by him mm -hmm. because I feel like, David is the is in the way of her and her dad and her being able to convince him to to pass down the company to her and it's kind of like David is in the way and it kind of feels threatened by it it seems like yeah they have a a very contentious relationship to say the least but yeah. I think that what this film does really well is that it has this large variety of characters and mm -hmm. everybody serves a purpose no matter how much or how little of the, the film that they're in especially somebody like Idris Elba who plays Yannick, yeah. the the uh, the captain of the Prometheus, and he's a character I wish was in more of the film. But at the same yeah. time, he is such a key person in every single scene that he's in, mm -hmm. and that's true. His just character arc, kind of being this like carefree. He's he's smoking. He's setting up Christmas yeah. lights. He's all wrapped <laughs> up in a blanket. He's banging Vickers. In between all of that, he ends up doing the one thing that saves every that saves humanity essentially not everybody because as we know right not a whole lot of people make it out of this one alive but yeah. uh he is the one that makes the final decision with his two co-pilots that it's just mm -hmm. like the ship can't leave the planet right he kind of throws that carefree attitude and he even says at one point he's like i don't care about the engineers i just want to get home right. and then it's just like yeah but what happens when the engineers leave the planet and head home right and kind of just to see him come into that role of going from carefree captain work uh this is just a job to the savior the uh becoming inadvertently the savior of humanity in a lot of ways it's like it's right. a pretty big arc for his character who's seemingly very simplistic yeah yeah like i mean also another actor that i, I would presume is being a lead role he has a very minimal role but his is so critical because mm -hmm. like even the scene where he's talking to shaw once they see um Fairfield, he turns into a monster. He's like, we need to get out of here. He's like, my job is make sure nothing gets to earth or like my job is make sure nothing leaves. that's not from earth. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's basically, he's taking on this role of like, all right, this is my ship. I'm defending it with everything that I got. And if it goes down, I'm going down with it mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know? And it's like, that is such a minimal role for him as an actor. But like at the same time, it's such a huge role as a character in the movie. It's like, he makes sure that nothing leaves a planet to go to earth. And I think it's, it's a much needed. And I, I enjoyed like even his minimal parts. I enjoyed him in those scenes. Cause he was such a, like, you can tell he was a captain. He took lead of like, we're going to go burn this and we're going to go kill it when they were chasing um, 
Fairfield in, in the, in the garage, I guess you would say mm -hmm. with the trucks. And he's like, he's taking the lead on it. And it's like, he definitely stands out as like a, a lead guy that he's, he, he's very versatile as an actor, I think too. Yeah. And he does a great job at it in this movie. Absolutely. And this is one of those mid 2000, early 2000 roles where he very much is making his presence known, even in minimal roles, like you said. I mean, yeah. he leaves a very lasting impression, no matter the size of the role. And I think this is one of those movies that you can be like, he's not just a character actor, like he's got something to him, yeah. even if this is not the most uh, front and center role uh, in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. I have to say, though, the more I watch this movie, my least favorite character is probably Charlie Holloway who's played by yeah. uh, Logan Marshall yeah. Green, who I'm usually a fan of. Like, I'm just not a fan of his whiny, nihilistic, yeah. kind of just checked out demeanor. Never satisfied, it seems like. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, he's just such a crybaby about the whole thing. Yeah. Like, he just gets shit-faced. He's like, there's no answers here. And it's like, yeah. Shaw is dedicated just the same amount of time to this expedition and this uh, uncovering of an alien species just yeah. as long as he has. And like, yeah, she's uh, disappointed, but she still realizes like this is just a milestone in a long journey. Yeah. And she doesn't wear her disappointment on her sleeve like he does in a way that is just super unappealing to me. Yeah, for me I'm I'm kind of glad they kind of killed him off. Yeah, I was like cuz he could yeah, he could <laughs> he's a, he's kind of annoyed. Like he's just annoying like never satisfied like I know there's always something better but like at least kind of like show the team that you know this is a great finding and in the sense that he comes off as like this is just another rock in the ground kind of thing it's like oh we found these life form in this planet it's like it's whatever they're not alive so it's useless it's like well no this is a huge step for mankind and it's like he for him is just like it's not enough and it i'm glad he got killed off pretty quickly <laughs> yeah absolutely and yeah. I, I like the moment between the three of them where it's holloway shaw and david when mm -hmm she gets hurt when Shaw gets caught in that storm and she gets like yeah. thrown into a pillar and David has to come rescue them. And Holloway's like, what was that? You endangered everybody, endangered the mission and all this. And then David's mm -hmm. just like, are you all right? And she's like, yes, thank yeah. you, David. And it's just like another yeah. instance of David kind of inserting himself into mm -hmm. a situation and showing that he is the most cunning, the smartest, the most observant yeah. out of everybody. And he very much knows how to like antagonize Holloway because he does it constantly. Right without yeah. raising his voice, without reminding Holloway that like, I could squish you like a bug anytime I want to. He kind of right. is just like very demeaning to him with just his words in a way that um, I find is really entertaining considering how little I like Holloway. Yeah, I mean, David again, like Michael Fassbender does such an amazing job at that. Like he really knows how to, it's like his character knows how to really push people's button. Mm -hmm. Like he's really good at that link, especially with Holloway, he definitely gets to his head. Um, at certain points and it's like wow like i don't know i just think michael fassbender's performance overall i think is the most standout I, although he's not he's not the lead character in this movie i think his performance wise it was almost the lead character definitely yeah absolutely but, i think he is the perfect complement to shaw mm -hmm. essentially yeah. um, and vickers in a lot of ways and mm -hmm. not to get into it too early but like in covenant it's all about david and shaw because they escape or right. rather they're the only two characters from the previous film that show up in Covenant uh, without right. getting too deep into the plot details of that film. But um, if there were two characters to survive, I would want it to be them. It's very fitting when yeah. Holloway dies because he's a shithead. Um, yeah. I mean, 
we get Vickers gets crushed to death, which everybody I think pretty much feels is very justly earned considering how mm-hmm. cold and uh, she's all about the individual rather than the yeah. group effort. And she's very demeaning. And it's different than David's demeaning because she's human. So you expect yeah. her to behave human, and yet she almost behaves more like an android than David does. Yeah. So when she gets got, it's not right. It's not that big of a deal because it's like it yeah. feels just don't care for it. Yeah, it, yeah feels, you don't care. it feels earned. She comes off almost as like a spoiled little girl, kind of. Mm-hmm. At least to me, so I'm like, when she dies off, I'm like, cool, she deserved it. Right. She was being a bitch about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's time to go. Very much so. Um, were there any other characters that stood out for you? Uh. No, I mean, I thought Logan Marshall Green as Holloway, I thought he did a pretty good job. But, I mean, again, his character is just annoying. Yeah, his performance. I I don't have a problem with his performance. It's just the character itself. I'm just like, okay, as soon as this person could die, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, also, uh, Benedict Wan is in this, which is very minimal, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in uh, Doctor Strange, Mm -hmm. Doctor Strange sidekick, I guess. Um, That was kind of cool to see him. I think it might be one of his earlier good films, I guess. I don't know. I haven't seen him in anything other than Doctor Strange, to be honest. I mean, that was a, that's a good example, though, of him and uh, Chase, who are the two co-pilots that Yannick has. Mm-hmm. Um, their kind of relationship is cool, is a nice little addition because, again, it's an instance of inserting some humor into it, their relationship. They're like, yeah. they have that underarching storyline where they're like betting each other on different things. And then yeah. just before they crash, he's like, you owe me that hundred in the afterlife or something like that. And it's yeah. like, they're not in the movie a great deal, but Ridley Scott makes sure that those two characters have some sort of a relationship so that way mm-hmm. they're not character A and character B, where right. a majority of the cast, I think, is pretty well, they're not explored that much, but at the same time, mm-hmm. their personality is defined enough that right. there's a justification for them or they feel like actual people. Whereas yeah, yeah. with Wayland's security team, which is like the mercenaries, they show up here or there, but we don't know anything else about them, really. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there's almost nothing known about them. None of their personality is uh, explored other than I'm the weapons guy or I'm the security guy kind of thing. Yeah, I, li- I like that relationship that they had, though, uh, Chance and uh, Ravel, mm-hmm. where it's like you can connect to them more. It's like, yeah, I think he has. they have kind of like a, like a dark comedy humor mm-hmm. to it. It's like, we're going to die. It's like, yeah, you owe me money in, right. in the other life. It's like... <laughs> It's so really like I don't know. It's it, it's relatable to like a human. It's like the most human thing we probably get to hear in in this whole movie because like, obviously there's in, in different world, different planets. So it's like mm-hmm. there's still that human point, like human connection between them that's relatable, which I enjoyed. It was it's very minimal their their screen time, but it's it's also kind of like you need that that connection that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, they bring a certain amount of levity to the film that I think helps the kind of dour nature of things and how dark the film is. And um, we even get that with Milburn and Fifield, which is Sean Harris's Fifield and uh, Rafe Spall is Milburn. And they kind of have like that confrontational relationship at the beginning, but then the more they work together, their work rapport with one another becomes more friendly. They're joking around. There's that bit where uh, Milburn's like, is that tobacco in your respirator? And Fifield (laughs) takes a huge rip and blows it into his helmet. He goes, yeah, it's tobacco. And it's just like <laughs> having little moments like that, I think, help to yeah. ensure that the humanity of these characters is never lost and never becomes too right. alien, as it were. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I really enjoy moments like that, that I think it does a good job of just spacing things out and doesn't make it a super depressing, even though it's very dark and not everybody has a happy ending. At the same time, though, 
these are characters that you actually get to feel for because then when Milburn gets killed in that super graphic way, it's like, it's a pretty rough yeah. way to go and you care that he's dead because now that right. bond between him and Fifield and the characters in the audience has been broken. Yeah, yeah, no, you definitely get to see that bond between him and Fife, um, Fifield. It's like, your friend is dying now. Like they've, they've spent almost like, that's, I think it was, I think it's like almost an eight hour kind of by themselves exploring this world that they don't know. And it's like, shit. And I, I felt like they, they kind of build a small connection where it's like when they, when they start dying off of this, it's like, it's like shit. Like, I, I don't want to lose my friend. You know, they get so close to each other. And mm-hmm. yeah, definitely those little moments were f- between characters was like, it's like they're isolated in their own world. It's, I feel like it definitely helps. Like you said, bring a more humane kind of feeling to the movie, which helps balance out with all the crazy shit that goes around them. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into some of our like favorite moments of the movie. Cause there's definitely a lot. Yeah. Um, what's what, what's the first kind of big scene that stands out to you? For me is they, when, uh, I think when Fifield gets back, like when they take him back to the ship and he, mm-hmm. we get to see the first human transform. I think mm-hmm. that scene that scene in itself was pretty intense because you get to see him. he's like all the way they found him once they they come back so they they burn um hallway because yep. he gets infected and all that stuff and then it's like they find the body of five fields just kind of folded in half it's very creepy it's the way so gross like his whole back like his legs are over his head folded and he's facing the ground and like they open the door to see what it is and it's like what the hell is this and he gets up and he's like all deformed um mm-hmm. so i was so I was reading, so I have the um, Apple version and one of the extra scenes, they had the deleted scene that they took away. It was originally Fivefield was supposed to look more of like, had this oval shaped head. Like yeah. he looks very human-like, but in the deleted scene that I saw on the, um, on the Apple um, part, and they had him as his head was CGI, but it was like almost like an alien uh, xenomorph kind of shape. It was oval, yeah. which I'm glad they took it out because it kind of looks weird. It's, you can tell it's cgi but yes. <laughs> um, it would have it would have looked very bizarre, and it would have started kind of like connecting the fact that humans and this virus tend to make the xenomorph shape thing. I think it would have looked mm-hmm. weird. I think it it would not have shown the fact that it evolves through time. It would have been like, yeah, it just the fact that you connect humans to this virus, it would just turns into a xenomorph looking thing. But I think that whole scene with Fizefield is is amazing. I think it's like we get to see this crazy, creepy like creature what a human could turn into if they get in contact with this virus. It definitely one of those sticks out to me. Yeah, I definitely that's definitely a standout for me too. And I was surprised to learn that originally before they had that fantastic practical makeup for him mm-hmm. where his skin is mutating and it's yeah. rotting and all these and he's he's almost kind of like zombie like mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Definitely. Even though he's definitely more coordinated and more agile than a zombie. Um, they shot that all in CGI before that. Mm-hmm. Before the wow. decision to do the practical work, like you were saying, they they CGI'd his head, yeah. but then they replaced his entire body with a CGI kind of like alien rendering. Yeah. They filmed the CGI scene with like real CGI. Mm-hmm. This wasn't the procedural stuff that we'd seen earlier right. in the doc, but it was like for the final product and it looked incredibly goofy. Right, yeah. It kind of looked like the worst case scenario for them creating a new all CG, basically xenomorph. Mm. And it just kind of, it took you out of it because- it lost the humanity of that scene. And that's what really makes it scary is that, especially with like Holloway too, getting barbecued by yeah. uh, by Vickers in that there's a certain amount of humanity attached to both of them. So mm-hmm. even though they're changing, these are still people. Right. And you never forget that they're people. Yeah. And Holloway or um, Fifield 
kind of mutating into this thing and like seeing his legs fold over his head. Yeah. That's probably the most horror centric part of the movie. Yeah. And I love it for that because it's so out of left field and disturbing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's weight to the fact that like this person five minutes ago has turned into this animal. Right. Um, and he actually did his own stunts too. Sean oh, really? Harris. Yeah. Um, did you saw uh, Mission Impossible Fallout? Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. He's so in a- he, Yeah. He's yeah. the bad guy from that. Yeah. And so he decided that he wanted to do all of his own stunts, That's which awesome. is insane yeah. because they set him on fire right. yeah. two or three different times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely one of the scenes that is a standout for me as well. But I think the one that I always come back to initially is the new face hugger scene. Oh, yeah. When it's it's Fifield and Milburn, mm-hmm. they get left behind in that yes. massive throne room, yeah, essentially. Yeah. And then the new, the new face hugger comes out and it wraps its oh, uh, yeah. tentacle around the guy's arm and then just, just snaps. Like, yeah, it snaps his arm and it, it's yeah. his reaction is what I remember the most in that. Yeah. He goes from being kind of calm yeah. to like freaking out and screaming. It's, and it's like, mode. it's breaking my arm, it's breaking my... And then yeah. it just snaps his arm out. Yeah. And it's, it's equally horrific and it captures the same terror of the face hugger mm-hmm. scene from the original when it kind of leaps onto their face and wraps around his throat. Yeah. But this is like to the umpteenth degree in terms of how disturbing it is. <laughs> yeah. In that... It, cl- it climbs into his suit and then it wraps around his suit before going right into his mouth and yeah. kind of like making his uh, his body its new home mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. It's just the most disturbing kind of like face hugger-esque scene I could imagine. Yeah, that's definitely one of those scenes that sticks out too. Um, it was definitely, it's awesome that they brought this new version of face hugger. I guess technically in the series it's an old version, but I think because it, it's so different and like, it makes it more scary. I think it's it's more violent, obviously, because it like it can it has so much power. They can snap your bones. Like it just mm-hmm. makes it it brings a sense of fear of like I can physically kill you. Obviously, even the facehuggers kill them, but well, not facehuggers don't kill them. They just lay the eggs, and the alien right. kills them. But this like physically kills them. Like you can break the bones, and they just go into your body and evolve inside you. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those scenes that sticks out, especially when his arm snaps and you can hear the bone crunching. Ugh. Yeah. Also, kind of the uh, the tail end of that scene is that we learn that um, just like the xenomorphs, they have this worm creature has acid for blood. So mm-hmm. when Fifield cuts it with the knife, yeah. he sprays it on the blood onto his helmet and it starts melting. Mm-hmm. And then he falls into the black goo. Yeah. But then there's that moment where he stands back up and he breathes in. Yeah. And then the helmet just like, Sucks, sucks into his face because he's like breathing in this melted plastic yeah and it basically like morphs to his face that gave me yeah that's frightening. that made me feel some type of way for a while because <laughs> yeah. that stood out as one of the most like horrifying images of the movie mm-hmm. just this idea that he thought that he was going to like extinguish this acid and yeah. instead he just ends up inhaling all this like ooze and melted plastic and whatnot it was just like mold another face yeah yeah exactly another kind of disturbing layer to the movie that takes the horror elements in a new direction, but it's just as effective as Mm -hmm. if it was a xenomorph kind of jumping out of the shadows, like in the original. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, we, we've talked about scenes long enough that we haven't mentioned the C-section scene, which is easily one of the most disturbing scenes of any like sci-fi horror movie, probably in like the last decade or so. Yeah. I mean, Shaw getting, impregnated with one of the aliens and it was done in a a way again that's like a homage to alien that mm-hmm. someone has ingested this somehow yeah this was different clearly she had sex with holloway who was infected and it's a little bit different but 
it's still the same result is going to happen if she doesn't get it yeah. out. It's going to come out of her one way or the other. Right. And so getting into that med pod and then being a conscious while it's slicing into her stomach mm -hmm. and then it's extracting it from her. Yeah. I mean, the way, they said that the way she, she rips would, the umbilical cord is probably the nastiest thing yeah, ever. Oh. That's one of those moments that, oh. again, just heightens it to another yeah. level of just like, I can't believe what they're able to do. Yeah. She just, literally just rips it with her hand. It just grossed yeah. me out. Oh. It's so gnarly. Um, and that's one of those little details, I think, again, that kind of speaks to the overall feel of an alien movie. Like yeah. the alien movies in general are very cold and it's this idea that it's an inhospitable mm -hmm. cinematic universe as you will and it's like yeah you will be pushed to the limits of what you're capable of doing and it's a reinforcement of shaw's character and that mm -hmm. shaw is this very kind of like by the end of the movie she's the survivor and a warrior to a certain extent right um much like ripley but at the same time like she's willing to do whatever it is to yeah. succeed or to get this thing out of survive her. And, yeah yeah just the way that they highlight all the little nuances where it's slicing her stomach and then it's uh, moving the skin back yeah. with the pincers. Oh. And yeah, it's, and then of course the grossest part when yeah. it pops the umbilical sac. And it just liquids all over her. It, oh, It just leaks inside of her open stomach. Yeah, that's disgusting. And then you have the staple, the staple gun starts sealing her back up and it's oh. just, it's so gross. It's, but it's very effective. I yeah, mean, no, it, it does its job one, for sure. <laughs> that's one of those scenes yeah. I will never forget ever. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, that also is an interesting scene because it was one of the main examples in the documentary of filming the movie with an R and a PG-13 audience in mind. Oh. Um, so one of the few faults that I have with the movie, it's not really a fault, actually. It's just, it's an annoying thing element of the marketing of movies and the business of making movies. Yeah. So they were undecided whether they were going to market this as R-rated or PG-13. Mm. So they filmed this scene and many other scenes with a certain amount of blood and then they would redo it without blood or they would, it, vice versa. They yeah. would film it without blood and then they would film it with extra blood mm -hmm. and gore. Um, so in this scene, in the R, the final version, which is R-rated, there's lots of added blood on, this, on the wall yeah. uh, of the inside of the med pod. Right. And whatnot. And it very much is affecting. It's very gruesome. Yeah, it's very yeah. gritty and raw. And you realize like, this is basically like a back alley surgery. It's yeah. very much unplanned. Uh, it's a little more sanitary than that. <laughs> but then I learned that they also had a version of that, which they played in the documentary, which doesn't have blood, doesn't have gore or anything like that. And it's just not the same. Right. Yeah. You lose that sense of like, yeah, horror and like nastiness. Yeah. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't execute well on, on the, I guess the the horror of it and the nasty and the unsanitary of the what it is to live in another planet. I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And those are the key elements of establishing the alien world, mm -hmm. unlike other sci-fi movies. Like, right. Not only the rating, but just in terms of, it doesn't. It's not a similar sci-fi alien universe compared to something like a Star Trek or a Star Wars or. This is very much like the adult, uh, dark, adult-oriented horror sci-fi series that deals with aliens. It deals with humanity, and it shows you like the ugliest side of people and of the potential of like aliens mm -hmm. in the dark reaches of the galaxy in a lot of ways. Yeah. And to strip the movie of those key qualities, yeah. like this movie would have been a disaster. I think if mm -hmm. it came out in PG thirteen because it would not have felt like Alien. Yeah. Also, but I feel like also like 
I feel like kids don't really follow rules to watch PG-13. Like, they watch rated R movies. Like, we watch <laughs> yeah. rated R movies all the time. Like, even when I was a kid. Right. Like, who... Yeah. It's like... I feel like you, if you're going to make, it like, a scary movie, I hope it's rated R because, like, you want to show the most of it. Like, you don't want to limit a rated R or a scary movie to a certain extent. It's like... Even kids, like, nowadays, young kids will still watch rated R movies. I feel like no one really follows rules. Oh, you can't... No one's parents are going to be like, oh, you can't watch this because it's rated R. Like... <laughs> No, Things I, have definitely uh, yeah. have definitely laxed up even more so, I think, since you and I were kids. Right. But that's one of the big things in horror that's always a point of contention. It's just like this argument between PG-13 horror and R-rated horror. Yeah. And my thing is, is that if you're going to be adapting something or if you're going to reboot a series that exists and it's R-rated, mm. it has to be R-rated. Right. This idea that, yeah, there's plenty of great PG-13 horror movies out there, which is, I think, the key example would be uh, like A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. That's one of the best kind of introductory PG-13 horror movies in the last few years because that's an incredibly brutal movie yeah. that is very dark. Mm-hmm. It's almost as dark as some R-rated movies and yeah. yet it's PG-13. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a stepping stone movie for horror fans yeah. or potential horror fans. Right. And like any genre, you have to have movies that are accessible for those kids that have those strict parents who are like, yeah. you can't watch this. Yeah. So it's like, they can watch the horror that's made for their audience right. or that age group. This idea that you're going to take a series that began as R-rated mm-hmm. and then dumbing it down for a PG-13 audience always kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, it, it lose, you lose that. I feel like you lose that that sense of like it's supposed to be a certain kind of movie for a certain group. And it's like yeah. that's the I feel like you should stay in that path. Not, I mean, I understand that it's very important to make money off the movie to keep the series going but at the same time you kind of i feel like it has more meaning had you just stick to the to the to the fact that it's a rated r series just stick to it and like if it's a good product then it'll be good like you'll still make mm-hmm. money off of it you don't have to yeah, worry about and, it and the four films that came before this one it's like they were r-rated they set a precedent for what they show in these alien movies mm-hmm. these are not this is not a continuation of avp which the first one was pg-13 and then they realized oh shit, we lost a certain portion of the audience yeah. that loves these two R-rated franchises yeah. by dumbing it down for PG-13. Granted, in AVP Requiem, when they went back to a hard R, <laughs> that was a trash movie. So that didn't help it as much as had it have been a actually like quality movie. Yeah. But yeah, that's been one of those conversations that I've had a lot with people about <laughs> horror in general. It's just like, if something begins as R-rated, it stays as R-rated. Right, it should at but least, if, yeah. Yeah, it should at least. Mm-hmm. And it's like you should be conceptualizing projects from the beginning, these original movies and new stories. If they're going to be for a PG-13 audience, that's fine because it's built from the ground up as being for right. a PG-13 audience. It's right. not we're going to in that regard, like they have to be do interesting things to grab that R-rated audience that might mm-hmm. be wary of PG-13. So it actually makes for more creative movies, I think. Right. But um, in getting back to kind of like the overall lore that Prometheus introduces in terms of the engineers, which are these basically gods in the eyes of the humans that have designed this weapon of mass destruction. And we learn that the engineers have been traveling through all the solar systems and their next stop was Earth. Yeah. And I think the assumption is, even though it's never explicitly really said, is, is that they were going to go to Earth and release this weapon on Earth yeah. because probably because Earth in general is just like gotten out of control. Right. And you don't want the violence of Earth to spread around the universe as it probably has. And we find out like 
in the larger alien universe, there's like still conflict and strife between different factions in space and whatnot. Um, but how did you feel about the engineer lore in general that's introduced? And do you think that they answered enough of the questions that they kind of returned to from the first movie? Um, I, I personally like the engineers the way they did them in general. Um, they're like, I think it makes sense to, cause they, cause they kind of talk, I think David talks about that. They're going to go to the earth, drop this thing to wipe out earth. And then they'll basically rebuild them, rebuild from mm-hmm. in, in the planet earth. Like they're going to start all over again. I think it's kind of, it's kind of cool. It gives it this dark view. Like, I guess it's dark image to the engineers. Like, yeah, we're going to, we are creators of things, but we have to do certain things that don't go with, I guess, humanity. Like we have mm-hmm. to wipe you all out so we can restart and create and, and test our, our product. I guess it's because it's their invention and their virus. Um, no, I, I really enjoy. I liked it. I liked the fact that there was the engineers didn't talk. I feel like that would have lost a lot of like mm-hmm. one of the deleted scenes that I looked at. It was where um, near the end where the engineers meet uh, Waylon and David and like they they originally had them talk and I was like that just sounds weird. Their voice is weird and it doesn't make sense. Like it just it kind of lost that mysteriousness. And right. I overall I thought it was good that they didn't have a line because we don't really, there's also, yeah, like I said, this mysterious look to it. And like, we don't really know what they are. They, they're creator of things, but what are they really? And I don't know. I, I personally like the engineer. I'm, I'm glad they had somewhat of a human body where it's like this human structure of a giant with, he's like, he's not ripped, but he's muscular. Like he has Mm -hmm. like, I guess what we would imagine, like they build back in whatever, 2000 years ago, the statues of human, they're all ripped. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I really like the fact that the way they did the engineers in general. Yeah, I think that a lot of people had complaints, like we said earlier, um, about it not the focus not being solely on xenomorphs and mm-hmm. the alien kind of uh, biology and whatnot. But yeah. I think in creating the engineers, they expose a certain amount of the mystery from the original film. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it's very even handled uh, in the sense that they don't reveal everything about them. Like you said, right. they didn't. We don't get a monologue from the engineer that they wake up that eventually kills everybody and rips yeah. David's head off. Um, we don't get kind of like a monologue from him about their purpose, their what the reason of the black goo is, what they don't like about humans. And even you have that moment where Shaw is kind of begging to communicate with the mm-hmm. engineer and is just like asking what we did wrong. Why is he ashamed of us and all of these different things? And that really speaks to this idea that just because you have found this one milestone in uncovering the engineer's mystery it's much deeper than all that yeah and i really like that in the sense that it doesn't show all the cards Mm -hmm. and some people said like oh we wanted to know more about it." it's like yeah everybody does but at the same time if you're going to be making a new series out of this this is the perfect first chapter in that Mm -hmm. you get a couple of breadcrumbs of information that you wanted but then the movie itself never becomes just about the aliens and the engineers. Right. It's still very much about humanity at the core. Mm-hmm. And we get that in terms of all the different characters. And we have Vickers and Shaw who are kind of like the antithesis of one another. And mm-hmm. that Vickers is the cold, corporate, calculated, uh, almost robot-like. Right. Like we have that scene where uh, Idris Elba's character, uh, Yannick, asks her if she's a robot, basically, which yeah. ends up with the two of them hooking up. Uh, and then you have Shaw, who is very much this traditional idea of humanity as being uh, caring, compassionate, and very much 
the qualities of somebody that's out of place in the future. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like at, in these movies that take place so far in the future, it's very much corporate run. It's very cold. It's all about the individual instead of the communal uh, experience of people. Mm-hmm. And it's very kind of like nihilistic in a lot of ways. Um, and that was one of the things that I liked about the movie is that just because we're learning about the engineers, the people themselves never become the backdrop. Right. Because then it doesn't feel like alien. Cause what's at the core of all those alien movies? Yeah. It's the people. Right. Yeah. I feel like had they explained more about the uh, engineers, I feel like the movie would have been another two hours long. Cause then they'd be like, Oh, well, where right. they come from? What? Like, you know, they would have had to explain all this and it would have extended the movie so long that, to a point where it's like, all right, I need to take a break from this movie. I'll come back later kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm glad they kept that a mystery of like, this is what they are. That's all we're going to tell you. And this is what they want to do. And that's it. And like, cause had they explained more about them, I would have been, I would have been like, well, shit. Now I'm curious about where they doing, why are they doing this? Why are they mm-hmm. starting this? It's like, I would have had so many questions about it, but I'm glad they just kept it very minimal. And that's the point. Like, because I felt like it could have easily been another two hours of a movie. It would have been a four-hour long right. movie, and I don't want to watch a four-hour long movie. Yeah, no. I, especially after I watched a three-hour and 40-minute documentary, yeah. I was all set. Um, <laughs> but I really like that they give us enough of the key scenes that people like you and I that are more interested in the ship and mm-hmm. whatnot, rather than kind of the genealogy of xenomorphs and facehuggers. Yeah. We get to see the moments that we wanted to see in the original Alien, or moments that we were curious about and that we would maybe want to see once we'd kind of gotten through the movie. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm curious about the space jockey. I'm curious about how they behave, how they act, yeah. how this massive telescope uh, yeah. cockpit from the future works. And we get those scenes in the movie. And again, this comes back to my, uh, to my point that it is very telling and it's ideal that Ridley Scott is the one to reboot Alien mm-hmm. because he gets to go back and do things right. that he probably couldn't do in the original Alien just because of money, budget, and time and all of these things. So we get to see the space jockey, who is the engineer, climb into the seat. And then that kind of like elephant's tusk helmet comes down over him and it rises out of the ground and all of these things. That's so awesome how they did that, by the way. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I I mean, that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. And it is just a cool display of getting to visualize something that we've been thinking about Mm -hmm. since we saw the original movie. Yeah. And that none of the other movies, for whatever reason, thought to even try to touch that stuff. Right. Yeah, I'm glad they came around to 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 that, like to explain, like because in the first one you see this, like, oh, cool. How did that come about? And it's like mm-hmm. almost was it almost thirty years ago, thirty plus years ago. It's like yeah. now we get to see, oh, this is what they do. Oh, that's that's not a gun. It's actually how they drive the ship. And it's right. like this is awesome. Like we get to, it, kind of gets explained in all this time that we've been like like trying to figure out how how do they come about and that's like we finally get to see that and it's like i'm yeah at the same time it would be cool to go down the path of like explaining more about it but like i said earlier i feel like the movie would have been just way too long i'm glad i'm not <laughs> the only one that thought that that was a uh, a canon yeah a, uh, <laughs> well, i thought that that was like some kind of like targeting yeah, system that, or something for a long time i did until i saw the movie like again i was like oh so he's just getting there to fly it i was like oh cool all right that would make sense yeah, I mean, they have much more devastating weapon uh, yeah. within the ship instead of just oh, a cannon. Yeah. But right. also one of the scenes that I love that is one of the few CGI scenes, like heavily intensive CGI scenes mm. that is actually complemented by practical effects is when David goes into the map room. Mm, yeah. And then he sees the uh, the map of the galaxy essentially right. and he 
and like the planet earth lowers into his hand and yeah. he's like marveling at it. Yeah. Um, and it's got this very intense kind of map that engulfs the room. Yeah. And that's all CGI obviously. Right. But at the same time, it really highlights how much dedication they put into the sets themselves yeah. and how these 300 foot sets were constructed and then torn down and just to build the next one. Like mm-hmm. they said that for this movie, they filmed it in, it's called like the 007 lot for the James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. And it's the biggest stage in Europe for filming movies. Oh wow! And it, it's 300 feet long, but they even had to tear out one of the walls on that to extend it more. Oh, so shit. they could really get that size of scope for these scenes. And like the walls are all practical. Wow. The floor is all practical. The, the space jockey itself is practical. Like you didn't have to do that. Right. And it just gives the movie so much more authentic character mm-hmm. to the alien experience in that universe in a yeah. way that, I mean, I don't know how you can't marvel at the way this movie looks right. because for the most part, they did exterior scenes had green screen in it for some of them. Right. But then again, like we have the crash scene at the very end when Idris Elba crashes Prometheus into the alien ship as it's taking off. Yeah. And then the alien ship crashes down and it crushes Vickers mm-hmm. and almost crushes Shaw. That yeah. was all uh, a normal set. There was no green screen when oh, they're wow. running along the ground. And they did that in like Iceland. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's like wow. I assume that they were just running on this small patch of dirt and then the right. background was all green screen when yeah. that wasn't the case. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I think practical effects just brings that reality that's like you can't really capture with CGI. You can do cool things with CGI, but it's like the fact that you're doing practical, like you, I feel like the the actors perform, like you can really see that they're struggling. Like it gives it a better performance with the actors having to actually do these things. Like you can see in their facial expression, and like you said, like they were running. I was like, I'm sure that it really sold on the fact that they were tired because they were actually mm-hmm. running. So it's like yeah. those little details that like really make the movie that much better, I think, with practical effects. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the things that Ridley Scott actually says in the documentary is that when you're working with actors and the actor, when the actors themselves are working with CGI, there's a disconnect in the performance. Right, yeah. Some actors can do it better than others. Like we've seen in the Marvel movies, Mm -hmm. those movies are probably, I would guess, like 85% CGI. Yeah. There's a certain disconnect and that's kind of what gives those movies the popcorn feel to it. Like outside of one or two moments, those movies are not very emotionally driven for me, at least. Like there's a couple of scenes in certain parts of those movies where it's like, wow, that's like a great drama moment. Right. But it's always a great drama moment for a superhero movie. Right. And there's certain expectations for superhero movies that I don't apply to other movies. And in this, this idea that they're barely working with CGI, it -hmm. makes them feel more grounded in the setting of the movie. And there's more weight in everything because they're playing off one another. The actors themselves are very much being engulfed by these monstering sets that it's like, holy shit, they're actually there. Right. And that, that has to have an impact on the mood of a scene, the mm-hmm. tension in a scene, the way that you're performing your lines when you're in this fucking crazy alien chamber yeah. versus if you're standing in a room and there's a bunch of green backgrounds everywhere. Right. Yeah, you definitely feel like more connected to what's happening and and yeah, you're, it, you're more yeah, present. Right, and it makes it gives it more life to the scene, so I think yeah, I think the fact that they brought practical effects back, I think I've enjoyed, I've been wanting to see more since we started this whole alien series. I've kind of been more curious that 
I wish movies would do more practical effects because I feel like it helps the, I feel like it helps the character and the actors to really get involved in in the movie and be a part of it because like you mm-hmm. said like a lot of CGI like the Marvel movies it's like there's a disconnection but they're doing such a great job at connecting with it that's like is it seems like there's not enough drama to like in those movies to really have to push the actor although there's a lot of I'm sure acting is not easy with CGI and stuff you know but I just think practical effects just gives it that reality of like it's there and they're living it and I think that just affects the movie so much yeah I mean this this is a little off topic but I was watching an interview with the actor uh, Mads Mikaelson who plays Mm -hmm. Hannibal in the Hannibal series yeah. and he plays the bad guy in uh, Doctor Strange and he was talking about how he does CGI work for those movies for that he was also in the uh, I think it's called Clash of the Titans mm, yeah, yeah. that medieval movie from right. back in the day or from early 2000s with CGI and he was <laughs> kind of he was not that fond of it because it's like this idea that if you're going to be an actor and you're acting there up to a certain point, like you have to put your faith in somebody else that the scene is going to turn out well because they have to animate everything that goes into that scene. And it's like, it doesn't matter if you're giving it your all for the line read. If the camera then cuts and there's some goofy CGI monster or you're not talking to an actual person, you're talking your lines to this invisible monster. Like Mm -hmm. there's a certain disconnect there that no matter how good of an actor you are, it could be Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, it doesn't matter. The idea is, is that you're talking to nothing. Right. So if you're talking to nothing, it's going to be different than evoking the same emotion and the same connection to two actors talking to one another or just a lack of being involved in your surroundings. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you can be present without being really present in a scene. Right. I think. No, yeah, definitely. It definitely affects, I feel like, the the, the actor. I'm sure it's not easy doing, especially like these old school actors that are used to doing face-to-face, like, you know, like it's not easy at all. And I'm sure they had to adjust. I'm sure that Robert Neer and one, and you know, those along those lines, those guys are like, I mean, they're probably retired already, but I feel like they probably might've had a hard time at the beginning with CGI and getting used to like talking to nobody or nothing, you know, like you said. Right. Absolutely. What did, so one of the chief complaints of this movie, and I mentioned it a couple of times is that the focus is not on the xenomorphs, Mm -hmm. but we get that last fight scene between Essentially, the uh, alien that Shaw has removed from her in the C-section and the engineer. We get that fight where the thing that was inside her that was almost like handheld is all of a sudden now like a giant starfish with all these crazy tentacles and crazy tongues and everything. What did you think of that last fight scene? I thought with the the engineer, I thought that was sick. I I enjoyed it. I honestly thought it was – it looked like at the end of the fight, it looked like a giant – face hugger like that's what i thought i was like oh that's pretty cool but then it it took me back to the um the eel looking thing i was like oh well what so what the hell is that thing so it's like Mm -hmm. now i'm kind of curious as to like what where's the connection there like is it a face hugger was the eel a face original face hugger or was this thing that was born inside of shaw's a face hugger but Mm -hmm. overall i thought the the fighting scene was sick i thought it was cool you get to see you get to actually see the size of what this octopus looking thing looks like like it's like yeah. huge because the, the engineers are huge and tall and very muscular. So you get to see how strong they are also because he was literally the octopus pushing him inside the room. Um, but I thought it was a cool scene. It was it was much needed. I thought it was a needed scene because I feel like they needed a little bit of uh, action in there because there's a lot yeah. of exploring and a lot of like finding new things. And I thought it just needed that one fighting scene. And it was pretty, pretty well put together. 
Yeah. I didn't realize that the guy that plays the engineer is seven feet, four inches. Oh, he's, he's actually just like that this, tall? Jesus. Yeah, he's actually that tall. He's just a, wow. he's a fucking giant. And Jesus. they said that, that, and something that I really, I went back and watched the scene, that fight scene again, in that you don't appreciate until you rewatch it how tall he is. Yeah. But the way that the film is shot in this tight corridor. Yeah. And just the logistics of that with such a tall yeah. guy that- He's just very coordinated for somebody that if it was one of us, probably be smashing our head into <laughs> yeah. the ceiling and everything. And just yeah. everything is very well choreographed to the point mm-hmm. that he's a giant, but at the same time, it's not cartoonish. Right. It's terrifying. Right. In a it's lot of a ways. terrifying like, giant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there would be that moment in the map room when the giant, when the engineer is standing over oh, Wayland, yeah. David and all those people and- it's a little buffoonish how big he is in that yeah. scale because you're in this massive room and then you right. look and you're like, this guy is like, is he on fucking stilts? Like right. he's just, he's massive. Yeah. But then when you go back to one of the few kind of uh, claustrophobic environments, it becomes terrifying because right. you can't even run past him. That's how big he is in that. Yeah. He blocks entire doorways and whatnot. Um, yeah. Also, just in bringing up the squid monster, basically the, ma- the XL face yeah. hugger, um, <laughs> I kind of love that we never get to see a final form of what the black goo turns things into. Yeah. Like it's always evolving and mm-hmm. it kind of makes that weapon that much more sinister. Yeah. The, the biological weapon of mass destruction, the black right. goo in that no matter what it touches, it turns it into a weapon of some sort. It's, it's different. Not defi- it's always different. Yeah. yeah it's always different. Yeah. And it's a loose connection, but I think it's some, it taps into what I like about, cosmic horror mm-hmm. in movies like the thing yeah this idea of an unknowable final form yeah. is super disturbing to me because in terms of like a movie you can never anticipate what the next scare is mm-hmm. when That's you're watching because yeah. it's like it's it's not it's unidentifiable all you know about it is that it will kill you that's right. it that's all you know but it could turn into a worm it could turn into an xl starfish it could turn into a zombie human, like right. it's ever evolving and the threat just grows and grows and grows in terms of how proficient of a killer it is. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I really like that. It's like, we don't really know, like, like I said, like the mystery of like what it could be next, what could be around the corner kind of thing. It's like, if it falls on an insect, it turns into this giant worm. It falls on, mm-hmm. a, if it touches a human, it turns into, into like a zombie. But then it's like, if, if it, if it touches a human and a human consumes it and then it like has sexual intercourse with someone else and it evolves into something else. It's like, it's passed down from like genes, I guess their genes is passed down to, to other people. And it just, you can see the different evolution of how it turned into like an octopus. Cause it was like in Dr. Holloway's and then it got passed down to Shaw and then Shaw gave birth to this thing that's inside her. It's like completely different or what it would happen had it been just one person, just one gene passed down to one to the next thing. But uh, yeah, I really, I really like the fact that we don't, there's also a mystery to that. Like we don't really get to see much of it. Like we only saw that they took a sample of it and that's it. And like mm-hmm. after that, it's like, there's no more explanation behind it. And I was like, cool. Cause I feel like also, again, it could have gone, Oh, it could have made a longer movie explained yeah. all that. And, and you watched all the deleted scenes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you feel like the deleted scenes added a lot to the movie or do you feel like they were deleted scenes for a reason? <laughs> uh, there was, well, there was certain points. There was a lot of deleted scenes was based on the crew of like the relationship and all that stuff and how they talk to each other. A lot of that, but like, yeah, some of them I could see that 
they cut them like the I, I watched the deleted scenes with the commentary from one of the producers or director and they were saying like we just deleted it because the movie would have gone too long like it was right. cool it would have cool to been to have those scenes in it but it was like this movie would have gone easily three hours and i don't know if yeah. someone would want to sit down and watch a movie for three hours but there was a lot of scenes that i think should have that could have helped out the movie or at least explained more of it but it also mm-hmm. would have led into the other rabbit hole where it's like now i gotta learn more about that right um, but overall i think i'm glad they took some of the scene, most of the scenes out because it would have just right. been way too long and it would have been gone to another rabbit hole where it's like now you gotta explain this this and that and so I guess the final question is, were you disappointed by how little of the Xenomorphs were in the movie? Or do you think that this was the right call not to make Xenomorphs the focus? And we get that little that little stinger at the end where we mm-hmm. see that the Xenomorph is birthed from the engineer, yeah. which is basically like the next evolution of the bioweapon. Mm-hmm. And that's the only moment that we really get with a familiar threat in the alien universe. Right. Uh, I'm glad that we didn't see much of Xenomorph at all. I really do because I think, like you said earlier, it's like it would have been this repetitive of similar things that we've already seen. We've already seen the Xenomorph, which we're, I just want to know how it came about. And they do a great job at explaining this throughout the whole movie of this is the virus and this is how it evolved. And at the end, we get to see, we kind of get left on this like cliffhanger. Where it's like, are they going to make another movie? So there's another mm-hmm. one following to kind of explain more of it. But I'm glad that Prometheus itself is not based on Xenomorph and it's based on the history of before Xenomorphs, how it came about. Yeah, me too. And that's what I really didn't understand about a lot of the people that were saying Mm -hmm. stuff like, oh, this is disappointing and they didn't do exactly what I thought they were going to do. And it's just like, don't you want something new? I think Prometheus is such a strong example of how you reboot a series in that you have to give the people something new. And there was a really great quote from... uh, from Michael Fassbender about the whole process of the movie and whatnot, where he says like, you have to risk upsetting fans or, or take the risk and giving them something new. And it's like, yeah, there's a risk, I suppose, in not giving people what they're expecting. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, isn't that that much more rewarding in that it's a, it makes the film be more of a standalone in the sense that Mm -hmm. it's not just what we've seen over and over. And when you kind of put it in the alien and chronological order of the films, yeah, if you wanted to go back and rewatch these, maybe you would watch Prometheus, Covenant, and then Alien. And it's yeah. just like, it's kind of like filling in the empty spots on a timeline. And yeah. if you are filling in spots for a prequel in a timeline and it's just more of the same and it doesn't yeah. really explain anything, like what's the point of even coming back to the series and doing it? Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad. Yeah. I like the fact that it's almost a standalone movie. Like it doesn't really, yeah. like you could either go towards the aliens tears or you can just leave it at its own and i really like that because it's like completely different to what we're used to seeing with the aliens and all that stuff so it's like i'm really glad that they they have almost the same technology but the fact that it can do a standalone movie is great i think yeah absolutely and i think for our next one it's going to be alien covenant and i Mm -hmm. think that that movie i'm pretty conflicted on that movie and i'm interested to see how I'm going to take it on a rewatch. Cause I yeah. think I've only seen that one yeah. twice. Um, yeah. I think I've only seen it once or twice. I think. Yeah. Not yeah, very minimal. Yeah. So, and I, that's pretty telling considering <laughs> how much we like Prometheus, yeah. but alien covenant in a lot of ways is Ridley Scott's reaction to the criticism that he received over Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And this is an instance of a movie for me that from what I remember, it was, I did not like the changes that he made in terms of like, 
He was very much appeasing the fan base that got upset about Prometheus and the direction it took. And with Covenant decided to go back towards something that was more familiar that mm. fans kind of like the ideal movie that fans wanted. Yeah. Which I'm not really a fan. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of fans, I'm not really a fan of that idea where right. a director's vision is influenced by the fandom because I think the more and more down the rabbit hole we get with fandoms, yeah. the fans don't necessarily know what's best for them most right. of the time. Yeah. Well, I, you know mean, I mean, we also don't know what, I feel like really Scott could have done some, and it's like the way his thought process seems like from even throughout the, these movies, it's like he probably could have taken it to where he really wanted to go, but just to please his fans, he had to kind of cut back on that maybe. I don't right. know. That's, that's what probably I'm assuming that happened. Yeah. Prometheus feels like a evolution on mm -hmm. his take on the alien universe. Yeah. Whereas I remember Covenant feeling like a regression in yeah. some ways, but he uh, kind of got lost in that, I guess I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely loses the identity of Prometheus mm -hmm. in favor of blending Prometheus with alien. Yeah. And in that regard, it needs to be one or the other, because again, like we just said, Prometheus, we hold in such high regards because it is very much its own standalone thing. Yeah. And it's, terrific at being that yeah. and the decision not to put too much alien into that petri dish was a great idea because it becomes its own thing mm -hmm. whereas you have these two very different but connecting things being put together and kind of like but jar uh butting heads yeah we get alien covenant which i don't want to be too down on it because i right. haven't watched the movie in a while yeah. it's just there are certain things that i remember being unhappy about with covenant because of how different they were from prometheus mm -hmm. but uh I think we'll save that for next time. But yeah. Yeah. Prometheus, I had a great time chatting about no, this because that, that was a, uh, a long time coming. Yeah. We've been holding this one back for a while. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I'm looking forward to chatting about Alien Covenant with you next time. It's going to be a good one. I'm excited. Thanks, man. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.